0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and boy, do we got a good show lined up for you guys today. I know some of you are out there thinking, what are the guys going to do? What is Shockwave Dave and Gumpy going to do this weekend? Because there's no UFC card to preview, there's no current events in UFC that people are really focused on, how are they going to fill their show, but we're going to do something that we've always wanted to do, and that's dedicate an entire show to talking about Dave's number one passion, Pride FC. That's right, Dave loves Pride FC, so we're going to finally give him his whole show dedicated to the company. So, we're going to start by interviewing Mark the Hammer Coleman. That's right, I got a chance to sit down with Mark Coleman, ask him all about the Pride Grand Prix that he won, talk to him a little bit about UFC 10, UFC 11, all kinds of other crazy stuff. Make sure you follow him on Instagram Mark D Coleman on Instagram and make sure you follow him on Twitter Mark Coleman MMA After we talk to Coleman, we'll be talking about the fighters in the UFC right now, or in MMA in general, that we think would be the best to go back to Pride. That's right, we're going to talk about the ones now who we think would do best in Pride, plus Dave will count down his five favorite things about Pride. That's right, his five favorite things about Pride. So we're going to jam that into one Pride-themed episode, and this episode is of course brought to you by ADK Fightwear. ADK Fightwear gives you high-end, low-price BJJ gear. That's right. You can get both high-end and low-price at the same place. Go to ADKfightwear.com. Use promo code TURTLE. That's T-U-R-T-L-E. All lowercase. Make sure they're all lowercase if you want the discount. And you're going to get 20% off your whole order there. And let me tell you something. I've had their rash guard forever. I've been wearing their arm bars and stripes, their short-sleeve rash guard If you go on their site right now, use our promo code, you can get it for just 20 bucks. and this thing stands up against the test of time. It's not pilling, the colors aren't fading, it looks as sharp as the day I got it. Head to ADKFightwear.com to check that out and their whole line. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com and today I have the pleasure of speaking to an MMA legend. You guys might know him as the winner of UFC 10, UFC 11, the first ever heavyweight UFC champ in the 2000 Pride Openweight Grand Prix winner. I of course am talking about Mark the Hammer Coleman. Mark, how you doing today?
1: Well, I'm good. That uh, intro just gave me a little pump there. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely no problem. So let's start by talking about your UFC career. So as the first ever heavyweight champ, uh, you obviously saw the division in its very infancy. What do you see as maybe the major difference between what it was when you were there and when you were ruling the division and what the heavyweight division looks like now?
1: Well, really, to be honest, um, I feel like uh, in in hindsight, I really feel like I, I got in it at the right time and, uh, uh, being a wrestler and, uh, just knowing the, the I had to date, I had, I had to know the basics of the jujitsu, obviously, but you throw in the headbutts, and, uh, it just really, there wasn't, a, there's so many fighters out there now, back then there weren't that many fighters and I felt like I was ahead of the game and, uh, Ground and pound, you know that was the game plan from the beginning, and uh, and fighting was I was born for fighting. It was born for it, and uh, when I saw UFC one, I couldn't believe what I saw. I just I, I I couldn't I I just hoped that it was real, and I hoped it was a sport, and and I said to myself, what the heck did they've been waiting for? This is the coolest sport ever i need in i needed in I, I knew that was me and my wrestling career was coming to an end i just uh, had to had to find a way in and and i got an opening um a manager approached me after those 96 olympic trials which i didn't make the team and uh, he he offered uh he took me into a room and uh, told me he had a spot in ufc 10 and he was looking at mark kerr and looking at tom erickson and i I told him to hold it right there uh, to be quite blunt. I said, uh, I will kick both those guys' ass. And I said, I'll kick Don Fry's ass. I said, I'm the man for the job. I said, where do I sign? I don't need to read that contract. Just give it to me. I don't care what the hell it says. I want in now. I wanted in now because i seen all the troubles they were having. And I was worried that it was going to get get stopped before I got my chance to to do something like that. I wanted in there bad.
0: Well, you—you you got in there, and you got in there in a big way too. And and let's let's talk a little bit about the both your UFC runs. So obviously, you know, you you just recanted a little bit about what happened in the beginning. Uh, let's talk about your second run in the UFC too, because you, you wound up going back to the UFC after all that time away in Pride and other places. Yeah. You fought Randy Couture, Shogun Hua, and Stefan Bonner, all of which were absolute killers. You know, in sort of the the prime of their career. Looking back at your last UFC run, how do you feel about that part of your career, too?
1: Wow. yeah, You said it in reverse order. It was uh, uh, Shogun Hua, mm-hmm. and then Stefan Bonner, mm-hmm. and then uh, Randy Couture, which, honestly, that happens to be one of my most disappointing fights of my whole career. I actually just froze my ass off. Uh, um, all the credit goes to. Tour on that fight, but uh, when I went to Pride, I got cut from the UFC. I rose to the top, and as quick as I rose, I fell to the bottom and was counted out for the dead. But when I went over to Pride, my goal and my plan was to get back to the UFC. I always wanted to get back in the UFC, and uh, when they when when they when the UFC bought Pride, um, I had my opportunity, and Dana. Dana made me wait because uh, I pissed him off. I pissed him off. He was, he tried to get me back a little bit earlier and, uh, uh, it was a little, um, misunderstanding between managers, this and that, because I was ready to come back. But, uh, it, it just didn't work out. But that's what I wanted to do. Instead, I ended up fighting Fedor and I, I, I would rather have went back to UFC in hindsight, but I, it was a it was a big paycheck to fight Fedor. I couldn't turn it down, and there was uh, misunderstandings between my management and Dana White, and uh, I just blew that one because I would have loved to have come back to UFC right then. And I, when I didn't, I pissed Dana White off, and uh, they bought Pride, and I'm sitting in limbo for about two years. You know, the clock was ticking on me already, but finally uh, they decided um, to put me in the Hall of Fame when they came to Columbus, Ohio. They decided to put me in the Hall of Fame, but they didn't offer me a fight. Uh, they just were going to put me in the Hall of Fame, and I'm like, ah, that. I mean, as great as that sounds, as great as that is, I wanted to fight, and they weren't offering me one, but they finally offered me one right before the induction, They offered me a contract, and they told me it's non-negotiable. Take it or leave it. And I said, I'll take it. And I was so ecstatic, so excited that I'm going to have a chance to fight in the UFC because I am a pioneer of the sport. But at the same time, I fought in UFC 10, I fought in UFC 100, and I think I fought in UFC 109 at the age of 45. And uh, that's when um, I, I was... The body was falling apart and I got an MRI on the hip and basically they told me you're done. You don't have a hip and uh, uh that just that devastated me, crushed me. But coming back to UFC uh my first fight at two oh five well first they offered me Brock Lesnar and I'm like damn I was already heading down to two oh five so I was weighing about two twenty five at the most uh uh and uh Brock Lesnar, let's face it man, the guy's two hundred and seventy five pound monster. Uh Hey, size matters. I said that from the beginning. Voice Gracie said size don't matter. I said size does matter. And, well, it was going to be a tough one. You know, Rock's going to be a tough one for sure because I, I was past my prime and I was already heading down to 205. But I took it. Uh, I, I, I said, hell yeah, I'll fight him. But um, uh, maybe uh, it was a blessing by the Lord. Uh, I tore my MCL and uh i had to pull out i mean uh, i i i sent them the the uh, mri from the tear to to make it sure that they weren't thinking i was bluffing or anything and uh well it was on the mri and i said listen if you guys are going to if you're going to cut me i'll fight him like with my knee the way it is but they 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 they, they worked with me real well and said no problem mark and then I said, then when I do come back, when you do find a fight for me, I would, I'm ready to head down to 205. And then, uh, uh w- what a rematch with Shogun Hua, but mm-hmm. what, what a, that, that turned out to be a one crazy fight. Um, I didn't have my best training camp, uh, to be honest. And and the first cut to 205, it didn't seem hard, but uh, when I got in the ring, when I got into the cage for that one, ooh, I knew. I knew right away I I didn't feel super great. And uh, I remember Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg, you know, I listened to the commentary and uh, basically they was, they was fearing for my life in the first round. And, uh, but there I was, I was still there in the third, I was still there in the third round and uh, I had taken him down eight times. So he was as tired as I was by then. We were both exhausted and there's 20 seconds left. And I still to this day don't have any clue why was I just standing in front of Shogun Hua? Why didn't I just shoot in, take him down again, and see what the judges had to say? But I was standing right in front of him. He threw a nice, beautiful three-punch combo, and uh, my legs just—it wasn't—I wasn't knocked out, but my legs just—I never felt that before. My legs completely just gave out. I hit the ground, and well. I, I wasn't worried because he can't in Japan. I might have been in some trouble because he might have come in stomping, but in, in, in the UFC he couldn't stomp on me, so he was going to have to close in on me, and I would just grabbed the leg and took him down. But I can't remember the ref. But I was I was furious, man. I, I went uh, 14 minutes and 40 seconds, and he's going to stop the fight like it was boxing. I mean, he stepped in right away and stopped the fight without even. You know, I I was grabbing his legs because he was there so fast. I was grabbing his legs, thinking it was not thinking it was show guns because I was feeling pants and I looked. I couldn't believe why did he stop that fight? I was just crushed. I was devastated. I wanted to go to the to the decision, and it was a. I couldn't believe. You know, I I you know I couldn't believe I could believe it, but people couldn't believe I was still there after the after as tired as I looked in the first round. Well, guess what? You know, Frank. uh dave Meltzer, he said it he said uh fatigue makes cowards out of everybody and somebody forgot to tell coleman and uh, i i respect dave Meltzer. i respect dave Meltzer. he's the best in the business and uh, uh i remember his first comment on me after usd 10 uh, in his little uh his little paper magazine they sent out he said uh you know, Coleman is a monster, but he lacks charisma. And when I read that, I was like crushed. You know, I'm like, well, oh, mm-hmm. fuck, what do you mean I lack charisma? Uh, damn, Meltzer knows, Meltzer knows. But, uh, uh, then he, you know, we became friends, uh, over the years, me and Meltzer. And, uh, when, they, when he made that comment, and I just really, I, I, I liked that. And I was just pissed. I couldn't believe uh, I couldn't believe the ref stopped it cause, uh, I was not knocked out and I was ready to grab Shogun's leg and just take him to the ground and finish out the last 20 seconds and see what the judges had to say. Because if you turn down the volume on the commentating and watch that fight, uh, it would have been a tough decision. It would have been a close, close decision, um, and quite frankly, uh I, I don't know, I think uh maybe I even won that fight. But uh it was just great, so great to be back in the UFC. So great. I wanted back there so bad and there I was. And uh, I got through that one and then I got the offer to fight Stefan Bonner, which I think the UFC felt like, because uh, they owed you know, Bonner, he put he put the UFC on the map. He He's the one that started to rise over the UFC, and, uh, and you know Dana liked him. And uh, I'm not saying, uh, well, I think they felt like uh, I was definitely washed up at that point. And Bonner, they was they was going to give him a uh, one that he could win. Well, that's probably the first fight of my whole career that I I got out. I packed my bags, and and I said goodbye to my kids. I'm going out to Vegas and I had 70 days out in Vegas. I shut my door in the hotel room. I put the Do Not Disturb sign up, closed the drapes, and I was in my dungeon. And uh, I did, I don't, the maid didn't come in once for 70 days. So you can imagine the smell in that room. But that's all I did 70 days eat, sleep, train, and I'm going to win this fucking fight against Stephen Bonner in. The iconic UFC 100, mm. and that is one of my favorite wins of all time. All the other wins, the big wins I had, but that one really meant a lot to me because I was 44 years old and I just won a a, a big fight in the UFC. It was it was it was you know I, I can't describe it was I was I many times uh, so many highlights, uh, but this one ranked right up there. I was so so emotional, so ecstatic. Uh, that was a big win for me. And then I, uh, I made some mistakes in my training camp against KOTOR. You know, I, I, I came in way too light, way too small. I've been experiment with the hyperbaric chamber and it was melting fat off me. And, uh, I like to, I like to cut about, you know, at least 10 pounds a day of weigh-ins at least 10 pounds a day of weigh-ins. And I woke up uh, two pounds over and, and, uh, that wasn't a good feeling, not a good start. And then uh, when I got into when I did get into the cage, I felt good. I felt great, but uh, I was small. Strength was a big part of my game. Strength was a big part of my game. And then Coach War came in to, I'm going to put you in the stranglehold, baby. And the crowd went nuts. And uh, I'm not kidding you, probably a little shaky in the knees that day. And when he entered the cage, I took a look at him and I said, damn, I don't remember him being that big. He was a big, strong, big, strong. We, we rode around 15 years earlier and, uh, uh, he, had, he'd gotten a lot bigger since then, a lot stronger. And then, and, 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 uh, when we, when we walked out there, I froze like a deer in headlights. Uh, I just, uh, froze. I mean, I, I froze and I, I remember I did throw one left hook and I, I landed a flush on Coltor's Kotor, chin. And I watched his eyes roll up in his head, but I just stood there. And, you know, I didn't follow up on it. I just looked at my punch and stood there, and uh Hortor came smoking right back, and he whooped my ass. You know, he whooped my ass. I think it was probably the only time uh, that I can remember my career that I, I, I got taken down. I think he's the only one to legitimately take me down, put me on the mat, and he did put me in a stranglehold. Mm-hmm. Um Bless, bless, his heart. He's one of the, he's one of the all-time greats. One of my favorite fighters, and nothing but respect and love for Randy Couture. But he ended my, I hated, I hated the fact that I had to end my career on that note. But I had no choice. It was over. It was done. When the when the doc called me and said you're done, I was crushed. I was devastated. Uh, I went into a long funk. I went into a long funk after that, you know, because uh I think that's the same feeling a lot of fighters out there have when it's over. I went into a funk for a long time and uh, honestly I feel like uh, just very recently I I really started pulling out of it and uh, I'm, I'm 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 happy, I'm feeling good, I'm, I'm I'm okay that it's over and I'm now I'm trying to Trying to do what I should have been doing for the past six years instead of, uh, you know, you know, I'm making a lot of mistakes that I've made over over this past time, you know, just being a bum, kind of being a bum and, um, you know, doing some wrong things I shouldn't have been doing and uh, hurting the people I love the most, hurting the people I love the most, but I'm right now in a good place uh, mentally I'm in a real good place and I'm ready to I'm ready to finish my life on, on a high note. The hammer's making another comeback. It's that simple. I'm making a comeback and I'm moving I'm taking one step forward every day. No more no more staying in the same place or even taking a step backwards. I'm taking one step forward every day and getting shit done finally.
0: Well we we love to hear that. Now I, I do want to backtrack to something you said a second ago too because you mentioned that you were offered Brock Lesnar, which I think is something that not a lot of people know. Were you offered the Brock Lesnar fight before or after he beat Couture for the championship? Was it supposed to be a title fight, or was it supposed to be his last fight before he fought Couture?
1: Oh, I'm not too sure. I, I, I you know, that you'd have to look that up. Uh, somebody would have to tell you. I I, was, I know, it was, uh, it was it was right when I got inducted to the Hall of Fame in, in Columbus, Ohio. So you would have to look that up. It was definitely not for the title. As my first fight, they weren't going to give me a title shot back then. I mean, you know, I, I was, I think it was something like, uh, okay, let's pass the torch mm-hmm. from the old first champion wrestler to the new big monster Brock Lesnar wrestler. And uh, that was, you know, but I, I don't think it was for the title, but um you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be real. Uh, it would have been it would have been tough because, uh, you know, I have respect for him. As he, you know, he, you know, I was the ground and pounder, and he would not been easy to take down. He's got the biggest hands in the business and the longest arms in the business. It would have been a tough one. But if, if hey, I'm not saying I couldn't beat him, but I I didn't know if I had enough time to get myself into the the shape that I would need to be to beat this guy you know so i just didn't know if i would have had enough time but I, I i didn't just pull out i had the mri to prove i had a had a tear in my leg leg and uh i so i still told him if you guys are going to cut me because of this i said i'll fight him you know but uh they, they they were real real respectful and uh joe silva uh he told me no mark that's all right we want you to be ready to go you know, we'll we'll find somebody else to fight him. And for, uh, I think it was, uh, who did he end up fighting? Heath Herring, maybe? Yep.
0: yep.
1: Oh, geez, yeah. I mean, uh, he put a, you know, that's my good buddy Heath Herring. But, uh, yes, he put a whooping on Heath Herring. But, uh, uh, I mean, blessing from the Lord, whatever happens. Everything happens for a reason. But I didn't fight Brock Lesnar. And then and uh, uh, Shogun Hua was... Uh, I had to suck it up, man. I had to suck that fight up, and I did. And I was still there, and I'm still pissed. I'm still pissed about that referee stopping that fight. I I, I deserved to see what the judges would have said on the decision card. But oh well, I was too tired to get up and attack him. Luckily, because if I if I wasn't so tired i probably would have got myself in trouble because i wanted to attack I, I wanted to attack the guy but I, I was i i ain't gonna die i was exhausted i was dead the weight cut and i didn't have a good training camp but uh i made it i made it through and uh fight of the night you know they got fight of the night even though it wasn't the most beautiful fight of the night but uh um uh, we got there we we got there and uh move on luckily uh movie joe rogan i mean uh uh joe silva came up to me uh afterwards after the fight was all settled in the after fight uh party i go to it and i there's i, I Joe rogan i mean uh, joe silva walks up to me and he said uh i said what's up joe you know what's what's the plan for me next he's like well mark he's like i'm not sure you know they were they were deeply concerned about maybe it was time to hang them up, and I I said Joe I said Joe what the hell no way please please I did not have a good camp I promise you the next time I'm in there I will be in shape I will be ready and I will I will come back and uh, I don't know who the opponents are going to be it was Stefan Bonner and uh, I came in ready ready for Stefan Bonner I had a good good training camp i was healthy and uh when i was healthy and when i was in shape hey i was going to be a handful for anybody and uh um well i showed it against Stefan bonner
0: so i, I want to go back to one more thing now we're going to talk about pride just a little bit before i let you go here um because we're running a little low on time now you mentioned that the the stephen bonner win is up there at the very top of your wins of all time now Obviously you've got a, a crazy resume of things you know you got UFC ten, UFC eleven you got the the Pride openweight Grand Prix. Where does the Pride openweight Grand Prix rank among all of those two? because I know like you said you're you're a UFC guy, you wish you were back in the UFC quicker. but where does that sort of uh that that big historic tournament rank among that?
1: Oh jeez well hell yes man you see, I mean if you haven't seen the uh, the uh, celebration after uh, Igor tapped. Um, if you haven't seen it, well, check it out. Uh, that, 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 tells how I felt. It was, uh, uh, just unexplainable emotions, uh, everything going through my head. I was counted out for the dead. I had no chance of winning that tournament. I had eight months. I had eight months of great training. The body was holding up still eight months of training. I, I knew I didn't know I knew I was going to win that tournament. I mean, there's no guarantees, but I knew I was back, and I was in in top shape, and uh, I, I, I planned on winning that thing. Pride did not want me to win that tournament. They did not want me to win it at all. They just put me in there for the big name, and uh, they their favorite was Mark Kerr or Igor or a bunch of people, but when I won it, Pride was not happy. They were not happy when I won that tournament, but I, want, I was out to prove a lot of people wrong, and that was some serious motivation. And, uh, hey, hey, it's, uh, it, it's hard to, to, to separate. Uh, you, you missed, uh, the, the beating Dan Severn for the first ever championship, uh, UFC 10, yes. Don Fry, the, the epic battle with Don Fry, my first, first time experiencing the, the cage, and, uh, Oh man, that was a crazy fight. It was one sided as it gets, but that's the toughest guy. That's the toughest. Uh, that to, to the be I'm not going to say best, but he was the toughest man. I mean, I I really was getting worried that I was going to ha- going to have to kill this man. He was <laughs> never gonna, he was never going to tap, and 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 then I was just waiting and just saying, "Come on, Big John, pull me off this guy," you know, and and then finally. You know, Don wasn't going to tap ever. I would have had to kill him. You know, I would have had to kill that man. He tap is not enter his mind, and uh, that fight was that win was was epic. It was way up there. It's so hard to separate that fight, uh, Dan Severn, uh, the Pride Grand Prix. The Pride Grand Prix was they're they're all very close. The Pride Grand Prix was very special because. I had so many people that gave me no chance, no chance and uh you know hopefully a lot of people didn't bet the house against me <laughs> cause if they, because if they did they lost their house. Cause, <laughs> uh but what happened here's the thing it was supposed to be a twenty minute finals, and i had i i planned it out i'm gonna I'm gonna beat soji. Then I'm going to have a tough fight with Mark Kerr. I'm going to have a tough fight with Mark Kerr, but I'm going to beat him. I I, I had his number. I beat him in wrestling three times, and uh, I you know, he was great. Mark Kerr was great, but uh, I had his number. I was going to beat him, and then I figured I was going to have Igor in the finals. 20 minutes, I'm going to be able to take him down, and I'm going to pound him. I'm going to pound him for 20 minutes, but the day before at the rules meeting, they decided – the finals was going to be a no time limit, and at that time, uh, at that point, I said, "Oh my God, how am I going to finish this guy?" I, I didn't know how I'd be able to finish the Orville changing, and I knew he had a gas tank for two hours. He could go, he could fight for two hours, and I don't know if I could go for two hours. So I didn't really know any way that I was going to be able to finish him. Uh, I did lock up a, 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 a key lock, I think. You know, I do. Fuck, I don't even know what it's called. That's how bad it is. But I had that, I had that key lock hooked up. And if I would have known the proper technique, I would have, I would have finished him with that. But I was doing just, I was doing it a little bit wrong. And when he squeezed out of that, that was my chance. I thought, I thought I just blew my chance right there. And I wasn't sure how I was gonna finish him. And I visualized maybe some knees to the head. But then they also said. No knees to the head on the ground opponent unless he's on his back. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell? How, you know? So I, you know, but then the grace of God, I got him stuck in that corner on his back, north south position. He had nowhere to go. And, uh, I just couldn't believe it. I, I hit, uh, um, 12 knees with my right leg right to the head but he had his hands up blocking them but they were still getting through 12 and then four and I switched legs and uh switched to the left leg and I I landed four flush on his head he wasn't knocked out I mean this man had a he had a head of steel he wasn't knocked out but I think he just realized there was no place to go there was just no place to go and when I feel him tapping on my belly Holy crap! Yes, you, you're talking euphoria, uh, mm-hmm. high, uh, high like uh, wow! I'll never forget that high. I tried to jump out of the ring, which uh, not too smart of a move. But obviously, I was on, I was on a different, different world at that time. I was in a different world, and I tried to jump right out of the ring because I wanted to jump out of the ring and go to the fans. Ooh, they were so good to me, and I loved them back. I wanted to go run to the fans and give them a hug, but I got up in the air and realized I'm going to come up about two ropes short. Right? <laughs> you know, I thought I was Kevin Randleman, the monster. I needed the monster to come step in for me because he would have flew right out of that ring <laughs> easy, but I, I wasn't the monster. Rest in peace, my friend. I miss and love you so much. Um, I'm going to see him sometime up there in heaven, but... uh 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 just um just 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 amazing. That was amazing, overwhelming feeling because, you know, I had so much to prove and uh I did it. I did it man. I freaking did it. I came back, I rose to the top, I fell to the bottom as quick as I rose, and then I climbed my way back to the top. It was just just overwhelming awesome. I'm the pride champ. And then I did the chick razor commercial with Wanderley silva and then i did sit on that big banana and give it a hug and uh <laughs> i got a lot of, i caught a lot of flack for that but uh that was awesome i got to i got to bring my parents over to japan first class Got they got to spend a week there and i did a banana commercial was it cheesy yes but who cares man i got paid <laughs> i got paid and uh I, I just wish they would have let me bring that, that uh, suit that I, or that outfit that I had on. I wish they would have let me bring it home because I would have had by far the coolest Halloween costume of anybody <laughs> that night. That would have been the coolest Halloween costume and my kids would have got a kick out of it. But they wouldn't let me have it. They wouldn't let me take that damn thing. I wanted it so bad. But uh, I, I I caught a lot of shit And uh, on the Internet. It was uh, the, the Internet was just getting started pretty much. And. Just abuse, you know, abuse, you know, from people. But I, I, at that point, I had realized I don't care. I don't care. My daddy was looking at it. My dad got pissed off, and uh, he he ended up posting something saying, well, you would have done it, too, for a million dollars. Yeah, but I didn't get no million dollars. I'm not saying I got a million dollars for that commercial, but that's what my dad posted. I said, Dad, man, who don't worry about these haters. It don't matter. Who cares? It don't freaking matter. Yeah. So I'm rambling on here, but, uh, I, like I said, my mind is clear. My mind is cleared. I, I, I'm on the right path and I'm going to continue on this path. I'm going to finish my life out the right way. I'm going to finish it out strong for, you know, a lot of people. I, 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 I messed up quite a bit over the last six years, a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, depression probably. And, uh, and, uh, Maybe way too much drinking. Take out the maybe, uh, and uh, well, no. Now I'm sober and I'm seeing things clearly, and I'm going to stay sober and I'm going to finish strong and 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 try to try to make up for any of the mistakes I've made. Cause uh, hey, it's a uh, it, it's tough for all fighters when it's over. When you pull the string on such a great sport, when you pull the string on somebody, the plug. Oh, it's hard to, and and you haven't you haven't prepared for after fighting, which I didn't, because you you just think you're going to go forever. I did go pretty long, forty five. That's a long time. Now, just thank the Lord that I got to go until I was forty five. You know, there's you won't see no forty five year olds in that octagon anymore. I guarantee that ever again. Nobody at forty five is going to be back in there. Now, I guess I could be wrong, but uh, you you tell me who.
0: Yeah, I I can't imagine anybody. So I, I just got one more question for you before I let you go to uh so you mentioned there in there when you said that you won the Pride championship, they were hoping for Mark Kerr or Igor to win instead of you. What part of uh what Pride maybe said to you or or what part of the the promotion maybe made you feel like they didn't want you to win?
1: Hey, it was just obvious. They didn't have to say nothing. You know, I just uh, it was it was just too obvious. I knew. You know, I just knew everybody knew they wanted uh, Mark Kerr, and maybe Sakuraba, uh, uh, my uh, Hoyce Gracie. It would have been amazing if he made it to the finals. You know, those people they would have loved any of those people in there. Mark Coleman was washed up, and, uh, and like Meltzer said, I had no charisma. Well, I had no well, charisma, but uh, I found out they found out I did have some charisma to the. You know, I went on to do some, uh, couple of commercials. I went into, I did the pro wrestling over there. That was, that was, uh, awesome. Pro wrestling is a great, great of, yes, it's predetermined outcome. I hate when people call it fake. Predetermined is a much better term for it. Nothing but respect for those guys because it's tough. It's a brutal, brutal business, but it's fun and it's challenging, very challenging. So I, I got to do a lot of things. I got to do a lot of things and, uh, you know, you got you to gotta throw in the uh, the Olympics. You got to throw in a national championship at Ohio State. I even go back to my state championship. All those things were just ecstatically high moments, you know, that, that I was fortunate enough to be part of. But at the same time, hey, I started preparing for this type of life. As soon as my mama pushed me out, I was on it. I think I was doing push up the, the same day she pushed me out and I was born, you know, <laughs> I was on it, man. When, when I was a kid, that was the plan. I wanted to be a uh, uh, Olympic champion, a football player in the NFL, baseball player in major leagues. And I wanted to be the baddest man on the planet. There was no sport, but I still wanted to be the toughest man in the world because, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I just didn't want nobody to be able to fuck with me, you know, in case, uh, you know, hopefully you can beat that out. My mom don't like me saying that word. And I shouldn't say that word, but, uh, I wanted to be the baddest man on the planet, even before there was a sport of MMA. That, that's, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the toughest man in the world. And I got, and I got the opportunity to prove it. And, uh, heck man, I, I, if I complain I'm a stupid person. I mean if I got anything to complain about it's stupid because I've had I've been given way too much in life already. But still there's life left and I gotta finish strong. Mark Coleman, the hammer, is on the comeback again.
0: Well, we really appreciate the time and it sounds like you're in a really good place. We love catching up with MMA legends. I could hear you tell stories all day, but unfortunately, we are out of time. For those of you listening, once again, this is Mark the Hammer Coleman, MMA legend with too many accolades for me to mention. Mark, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you all and have a great day. And that interview with legend of the sport, Mark the Hammer Coleman, was brought to you by Maroon Social. M A R U N E. Maroon Social is the one and only app out there for the BJJ enthusiast. It is social media without all the other bullshit. That's right. It is a place where you can go and you can log all your workouts. You can check out where your friends are training. You can check out where your friends are training. All without having to look at the political debate your crazy Aunt Sally is having with your second cousin. Okay, so let me tell you how this works. You're going to go to either the Apple Store or Google Play or wherever you get apps. And you're going to download the Maroon Social app. After you type in all your information, you're going to set up your profile, which gives you your belt rank, where you mainly train, how long you've been training, all that kind of good stuff. And then after that, there's millions of functions. You can check out all of them on the app, and I highly suggest that you do so. But my favorite one is when you log of training, whenever I go train at NESF, which is in Amherst, Massachusetts. I log in my training. I say I was there. I say how long I was training, how long I was rolling, and I can create notes about what I was training so that I remember for next time. Maybe I needed to squeeze the Dara's choke a little tighter with my elbows. Maybe my triangle choke didn't quite have the right angle, and I need to mention that. So you can do all of that stuff right here, and I, I highly suggest you do it. There's other things, too, where you can weigh yourself in. You can put your competitions in. I highly suggest checking it all out, Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. And I, of course, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonti. Dave, let's start by talking about Mark Coleman. What'd you
2: think about that proposed fight with Brock Lesnar? Pretty crazy shit, huh? OMFG, That would have lit up the MMA nerd world. What a fight that could have been. Two legends, two just beasts, two guys who... Came from a wrestling background. Coleman, really a symbol of 90s MMA. Brock, sort of a flag bearer for the 2000s of MMA, even though it was a very short run towards the end. That fight would have been awesome and really would have paired well with some of Coleman's, uh, last few fights. I mean, he fought Hua, he fought, uh, Couture and then adding Lesnar in there, uh, Bonner too, but he would have gone out against four, you know, future Hall of Famers.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, too, what I think is awesome is it's, like, the godfather of ground and pound versus, like, that new breed ground and pound that Brock Lesnar brought. It it, was, it would kind of have been poetic, but, you know, kind of as he mentioned, it, it was probably for the best because he was da- heading down to 205, and Brock Lesnar was fucking
2: huge. <laughs> Absolutely huge. Uh, speaking of huge, Coleman has a pretty nice Twitter following. Uh, I mean, not anything crazy about... 22,000, 25,000 fans. No blue check mark yet. Twitter. What the fuck? Yeah, and he even mentioned it.
0: He even mentioned it, too, like, to me off air. He was like, dude, I don't know how they give those blue check marks out. So, hey, guys, follow him, Mark Coleman MMA on Twitter, uh, and maybe Twitter will finally get the hint. All
2: right. So, let's move to our favorite segment on this show, or at least tied for our favorite segment. It's the fastest fight news. We give you all the news you need to know in under 15 minutes or less or the podcast becomes free and I can think of no better place to start this than and you've probably seen or heard about it at this point with the podcast being released many days later but it's still worth talking about Justin Gaethje with a potential KO over the year over Edson Barbosa Gaethje is the people's champion is he not
0: he's not only the people's champion but I'm gonna say this and I actually have two hot takes about this one pro Gaethje one Semi-anti your original statement there on Gaethje. Number one, I think he's the best possible challenger for Habib's title. Because he, he's got crazy pressure. He doesn't care about getting hit. And you know what people are forgetting? The dude is a fucking all-American wrestler. This dude who's just throwing nonstop bombs constantly is actually a fucking wrestler. So, like, I'm high on Justin Gaethje as a potential title challenger. And... Here's my anti-Gaigie sentiment. I don't think he had the best knockout of the night. I think he had the second best knockout on the card. Never mind the best knockout of the night, because Josh Emmett knocking out Michael Johnson was fucking sick.
2: It's so crazy how many good knockouts there have been in the past few weeks. You have Masvidal taking out there until, uh, like you just said, Josh Emmett. Um, and then what was the Pettis one? Pettis Wonderboy. To, and Pettis Wonderboy. Yeah. OMG. Yeah, Uh, which one would you pick
0: out of those four as the knockout of the year, or the knockout of the first quarter?
2: I, you know, Masvidal was the three-piece combo and a Soto, which is cool, but I always think of a KO as like a one-shot home run, like walk off the field. So for me, that lends itself more for Pettis, which is very video game-esque with a Superman punch, or... I still kind of like the Gaethje one over Barbosa more than I do Emmett, just because I don't know it was the main event. Mm. Uh, it's tough.
0: Yeah, I, I think I would go with Pettis. the The Superman aspect of it, the fact Wonder Boy had never been knocked out, it was a striker versus striker battle. I just think there's so much to it there, and like you said, the one touch knockout power too. Um, going up a division too, fuck, that's got to be worth something. What a crazy month that was. <laughs>
2: Where do you think Gaethje goes next as far as a matchup?
0: Uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I think were we not, and we're gonna talk about Connor in about four seconds. Were we not talking about uh, Connor being MIA for a while, all that kind of stuff? I, I mean, I think his matchup for Connor it just makes so much sense. And I think a matchup with Tony Ferguson makes so much sense. But again, we're in like sort of limbo with him. As I said before, I think a matchup with Habib makes a lot of sense, but we're in limbo with him. So like, w- where does he go? Uh, I would say if Max I, I... if Max Holloway and Dustin Poye winner wants to fight before Habib, I'd give him that one. But otherwise, I think he's going to be relegated to Ayakinta's cowboy winner. And I think he's going to walk through one of those two.
2: Yeah. And well, did he am I wrong in saying has he fought Cowboy? Did no, he's he he not Cowboy? No, he's not fought Cowboy. No,
0: absolutely okay. not. I, he fought um let's see, he fought Michael Johnson, he fought Eddie Alvarez.
2: Eddie Alvarez. He
0: fought well now uh um Barboza. Barbosa.
2: And... Wait, I have the intern checking it out. Uh so he debuted against uh, Michael Johnson, then lost back-to-back Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. James at so he's three and two. I was thinking of Poirier, not Cerrone. So that all being said, I don't care what this man's record ends up being. It'll probably be 500. Just put him in the UFC now. He is the people's champion. I love if Tony Ferguson gets his life right. I love the Tony Ferguson fight. I also don't mind the winner of Cerrone or Ally Quinta. And yes, I agree. Connor, even stylistically, is very interesting. So I don't mind him there. We've said the name a few times. Let's move on. Connor in the news, of course, a week ago, we already broke it down. Him teasing a retirement that neither of us are buying. Very pro wrestling angle, if you ask me. Uh, and then this week, firing off some shots at Habib. Uh, he tweeted out a picture of Habib's wife uh, at their wedding. And, said, you married a towel, and then Habib fired back on his Twitter, which, let's all face it, wasn't really Habib, but rather his manager, Ali Abdelaziz, uh, and accused Connor of being a rapist. Uh, Dana White released a statement saying that this is escalating too far. Again, very pro wrestling. I don't really believe Dana thinks it's escalating too far. What do you make of all this?
0: poof. Uh, that that it's you know usually I'm one of the first ones to back Connor's antics as just promo, you know like after all that that Habib stuff you know some people were saying Habib was in the right to go after, Dennis and his whole team and Connor afterwards whereas I said like you know like Connor uses that shit to sell fights if he's using this shit to sell fights if that's indeed what he was trying to do here I'm like this is too far like I I actually agree with Dana White saying that, whether Dana White actually fucking means it or not. Like, at a certain point, you have to draw a line. Like, what are we using to sell fights? And, like, th- this is, like, you know, isolating, like, an entire, you know, religion of people, which has a lot of followers in a lot of guys in the UFC. A- and at a certain point, like, yeah, we're, we're just trying to piss people off to sell fights, but, like, th- I think this one's probably across the line.
2: Yeah, I hear ya. It, it probably did go a touch too far. I also don't know what Connor's necessarily selling at this point other than keeping his name out there because
0: uh, I have a thought on that. But, I actually think he's really close to signing a fight contract. I I'm right. I'm 90% but not but not sure. We're we're like I,
2: maybe a week away from hearing Connor fighting. No I and I agree with that, but it won't be against Habib, you know? Like I I mean, maybe it would be. But is
0: it not still like shooting his shot to try to be like, well, I'm gonna fight this guy first, but then I'm gonna go beat Habib's ass. Like, as long uh, as he stokes the fire against Habib, he can jump the line if Dustin Poirier happens to beat Max Holloway. Right? If Max Holloway wins, he's fighting Habib, and it's gonna be a fucking great fight. If Dustin Poirier beats Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier is a harder sell for for Habib Nurmagomedov. And as a result, Connor just thinks he's got to keep stoking the fire, knock out somebody else, and he might be able to jump that cue.
2: Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, So that's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, 155 is just so freaking competitive. Also looks like we're that much closer going a division up to Askren Masvidal uh, at (laughs) International Fight Week. And UFC 239 is shaping up to be one hell of a card. Jones Santos... Home versus Nooms, which is absolutely the fight to make at 135. And then you got Askren and Masvidal on there. Oh, my God. Oh, and that one
0: also is rumored to have Nagano JDS, which is just fucking heavyweight violence at its best.
2: Yeah. Well, you want to talk heavyweight violence. Let's move on to our next segment, our other favorite segment on this show, tied at least for our first and only uh, favorite segment in our hearts, it's this week's Combat Countdown, uh, and there will be a heavyweight, th- not theme, but they will get mentioned when you talk about violent violent heavyweights. But I do have to ask you, Gumby, does any fine company sponsor this Combat Countdown?
0: Well, of course, the Combat Countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink all with the mouthguard jammed up in your mouth that's right this mouth guard you don't have to constantly be taken out with your dirty hands that have been all over the mats instead you can leave it in there you can talk to your training partners you can have a drink and if you use promo code top turtle 15 right now you'll get 15 percent off your entire order so go to SISUGUARD.com right now and get the mouth guard that's right for you
2: all right uh Let's get on with the combat countdown. Gumby, let's uh we'll flip rolls this week. You're gonna cue me up, and we're talking about our five favorite things about pride in retrospect. Uh of course, with Mark Coleman being on the show, we wanted to do a pride theme. We threw it out to our Twitter fans uh and followers at Top Turtle MMA. Hit us up on the show. We got tremendous hit us up on our Twitter. We got tremendous feedback on this topic. We took some of that feedback, we mixed in our own, and we came up with this top five list. Let's get it going. All
0: right. So for this combat countdown, I'm going to be leading it off, and I'm going to kick it over to Dave, who is the Pride expert of the show. And for number five on our combat countdown of Dave's five favorite things about Pride, number five is going to be the heavyweight division at that moment in time.
2: Yeah, so the heavyweight division of Pride is, uh, obviously, legendary when you have uh, Big Nog in his prime, Fedor Emelianenko, and then guys like Cro Cop and a young Mark Hunt, who wasn't really Mark Hunt as we knew him, but also you had Overeem with brief stops there. The heavyweight division in Pride was always uh, exciting. It, you know, I feel as though a heavyweight fight—I've said this on our Twitter—it's kind of like baseball. It's really slow until there's the action, and then when the action comes, it's like the most exciting thing in sports. But sometimes you have to wait a while for that action. Pride, I feel like the heavyweights were just a little bit more mobile, a little bit more exciting uh, than even their modern counterparts to a certain extent. Obviously, striking is better today than it was in Pride in the late 90s and early 2000s. But there was just something about that amount of guys peaking at the same time at the biggest division. It was great. And if you're an MMA nerd and you have fight pass, I highly recommend you go back and watch heavyweight fights from Pride. Start with Fedor Emelianenko, work your way through Big Nog. You have Mark Coleman in there. A lot of those fights were super exciting on just a more consistent basis than I'd say even modern heavyweight fights can be now.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, you mentioned a couple names in there, too. If you kick it all the way back to 2000's Open weight tournament, which we talked about a little bit with Mark Coleman, Mark Coleman, Mark Kerr, Igor, all of those guys just absolutely kicking around. And then the, you know, like the Fedor stuff took off and then big Nog take off. But with all of that being said, that actually brings us to number four. While talking about the open weight Grand Prix, the number four thing we love about pride was tournaments.
2: Yeah, so the tournaments in Pride were simply fucking awesome. And it's something I really wish the UFC would bring back. Not the one-night tournaments from the early days of the UFC, but rather the Grand Prix style that obviously Scott Coker has taken advantage of in Bellator. And I absolutely love. And Pride did this so well. Uh, Again, if you want to go back and watch Grand Prix from Pride, you can follow a fighter from the start of the tournament all the way to the finals. You just can't go wrong. There's nothing I love more than tournaments. This is something that Eddie Bravo talks about, why he went with a tournament format in EBI. Just seeing, you know, and, and Pride didn't necessarily rank people in their tournaments, but when you see, you know, and Eddie, too, he'll hook up, like, a Danaher death squad guy, and you know they're going to be at the top of the class. He'll put them at the opposite end of the bracket from, like, a Vinny Magalese, and you want to see your two favorites end up in the finals. So let's say one of the favorites doesn't end up in the finals. That's awesome, too. You get those dark horses. This is what March Madness was built on. Mm -hmm. And you could do the same thing in MMA. Tournaments are awesome. Pride was really the first organization that I think utilized them really well, not just the one-night format, because that's a little dicey having someone fight three, four times in the night. You can't do that anymore. But doing a spread out Grand Prix over a year is fucking awesome. And I wish the UFC would do that. And they could learn a little bit by going back and watching how pride did their Grand Prix.
0: Absolutely. And I, I love what you said in there about underdogs too. Cause as Mark Coleman said in his interview with me, he felt very much like Pride didn't want him to win that tournament. Uh, and yet he sat there and shocked the world. And there's something about that in tournaments that I just fucking love. Um, but we're going to move on to our number three part of the combat countdown. Number three is steroids.
2: <laughs> LOL. So, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of steroids by any stretch of the imagination. I like what the UFC is doing to try to clean up the sport. This isn't baseball. Someone hitting a home run doesn't really hurt anyone, but as Michael Bispin can attest to when Vitor Belfort was on TRT and wheel kicked him and now his eye is going to be funky for the rest of his life. Someone takes steroids and does MMA, you're actually like, you know, potentially affecting someone else's life with that extra juice, for lack of a better word, that you get from steroids. That all being said, there is something super fun about watching these guys on steroids be giant science experiments has been documented by uh instant NUA. in the pride contracts it literally said in bold letters we do not test for steroids which is basically telling a pro athlete hey go it. nuts with steroids <laughs> go get them and there's just something fucking awesome about seeing these guys who look like pro wrestlers from the 1980s and i don't want to throw out you know and, and insinuate guys who maybe never did it but Let's just say, you know, you had a lot of G.I. Joe action figure looking motherfuckers fighting in pride. And there was something really fucking cool about that. So, again, I don't want it in the UFC, which I sort of value as like the pinnacle of MMA in the world. But if there was an organization, and I guess maybe it's risen now, that just wanted to say, hey, go nuts, be a fucking walking science experiment. So, There's something kind of fun about that, not going to lie.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the organization you're looking for is KSW, too. Look over at Poland's uh, number one organization because they have some freaky large dudes over there doing some open weight fights. Um, so uh, let's move on to number two, though. Speaking of allowing people to do steroids, this is slightly different, but we're going to call this one number two, The Rule Set.
2: Yeah, the rule set. So, you know, one of the big things you always think about with pride is soccer kicks uh, and also Mirko Krokop from the heavyweight division kicking people into oblivion. But that all being said, it's soccer kicks, right? And that means a guy is down on the ground, maybe stunned or getting up from a scramble, and you could literally kick him in the head like a soccer ball, the standing opponent. So this is very uh, rare, or it, unallowed, I should say, in modern-day UFC. So if you're a modern-day fan, you, you probably don't even think about the fact that these guys cannot be kicked on the ground, which is a very violent thing to see. Uh, but it also is more realistic because, listen, let's face it, we watch MMA to sort of see a simulated real fight uh, or a fight with rules And there is something I respect about the idea of letting anything go as it would in a a real fight. And that is something that happens. Someone's down on the ground. They're going to get booted in the head. So I like, I guess I'm kind of a libertarian in that way, in that I don't like a ton of rules. I don't like a lot of government interference. And that's what soccer kicks brings to the table. It's more realistic. So, again, I don't know that I necessarily need it in the UFC but for another organization, I like having it as a change up from the unified rules of MMA in America. Also the longer first rounds. I love when a first round is 10 minutes and then the next one being five. I think there's again something more natural about that. I think it's more realistic to a real fight. The, you know, there is no bell and a timeout and a water bottle in a real fight. So that's why I like a longer first round. And then the way to judge that first round, weighting it heavier. So, again, that goes to rule sets. And, of course, knees on a downed opponent, too, just like the soccer kick. So, number two, we got a lot of feedback about all these points. We just grouped them together. It was really just the rule set.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And now, before we get to number one thing we love the most, let me do a quick recap for you. So, number five was the heavyweight division in its totality. Number four, tournaments. Number three, letting guys get all juiced up, and number two, the rule set. But, of course, it all comes down to number one. Our number one favorite thing about Pride was all the pomp and circumstance.
2: Yeah, so much like we grouped the rule set together, we're going to group pomp and circumstance together. What does this mean? There is nothing I love more than the insane intros of a Pride show, Uh, the giant blimp, the naked dude beating a drum. Uh, just the craziness of the opening of pride and from a respectful level and something I actually wish the UFC would do. And I know it'd be a little tough on like 13 match cards, but pride would bring every fighter fighting that night out to the middle of the ring and introduce them or bring them out on the runway and introduce them. And I just find there to be something so respectful about that, for people who are about to put everything on the line and fight, to just have them come out for a quick moment, recognize it, you let the fans clap, and then they go and they do their thing in the ring. There's something, I don't know, like to me, if a guy's fighting in maybe not the main event or the co-main event, you might not see him on a show you're watching. We start watching these shows at 5 p.m. They end at goddamn like, you know, 1 a.m. sometimes, and you don't see that fighter until he actually comes out for his fight you know, fourth from the top. There's something I like about opening up the show with every fighter. So that goes to the pop and circumstance. The ref cam. Everyone loved the ref cam at Pride. It was just a cool little touch. Uh the announcing, right? Uh Boss and Steven Quadros. There was something so genuine about them doing their voiceovers of those shows, even <laughs> though they weren't live. Um there was just a freakish kind of element to pride much in the matchmaking when you would see uh you know wagner daroka versus uh big nog and all the different weights against each other and you can't do this with the unified rules in america i get that but uh you know just for having fun and this is something that uh uncle Kirik Janes said on our twitter uh Kirik of the ug fame um You know, there was just something about the pomp and circumstance of pride. It was fun, and that's missing from modern-day MMA in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, and you actually uh, left out two of my absolute favorite things, too. Number one, although I guess it probably doesn't go along with the problem and circumstance, the crazy pride posters need to be brought back. Yeah. Absolutely crazy pride. There's, like, one with a fucking butterfly. There's one with a bunch of sperm.
2: one with sperm. Yeah, Yeah, the
0: sperm poster. (laughs) It's fucking so good. So, first of all, we need more posters like that. Second of all, the other thing too, screaming pride lady, Lena Hart is fucking so good on the mic too. And it just jacks people up. So, um, I know we got a lot of love for her on Twitter as well. So, uh, those two things, in, in addition to all the other pomp and circumstance, I mean, that is definitely what made pride pride.
2: Pride is absolutely the best. And I can't recommend this enough. If you're kind of from the Conor uh, Ronda era of MMA fandom, or you just never really like caught up on it. There are best of pride shows on UFC fight pass, or you could just go back and watch all the shows uh, I have. And they're really fun. Some of the fights are super boring, but there's a style to the matchmaking. The ambiance is super cool. I can't say enough good things about pride. And one day we'll have to talk about the beginning of pride with Hicks and Gracie, uh and Takata and what led to that fight it's one of my favorite stories in MMA but it'll be for another day in another combat countdown uh so that kind of wraps us up hey hit us up on Twitter let us know if you liked our list let us know if you hated our list Gumby is there any other housekeeping items we should talk about before ending the show
0: and that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA podcast on flowcombat.com First, I want to thank our sponsor Sheath Underwear for having us on. Sheath Underwear, changing the underwear game one pair at a time, giving you the coolest, best Underwear for working out. It keeps your cash and prizes separate from your body, promoting airflow and keeping them from getting too sweaty. Head to sheathunderwear.com. Use promo code FLOW for 20% off. Plus, I want to thank our other sponsors that we've already mentioned earlier in the show, ADK Fightwear, Sisu Mouthguards, and Maroon Social. Download the Maroon Social app. Of course, I want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week and want to remind you guys to check out our Twitter account, Top Turtle MMA. Also, check out Mark Coleman's Twitter account, Mark Coleman MMA. And we want to remind you to check out my personal one at Gumby Vreeland. Uh, I, of course, was Gumby Vreeland, and he is Shockwave Dave Tremonti, and we will catch you next week.